to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. As we uh, gather together for um, um, church services every week, we have to remember that that we it's this, this idea of this body of Christ. And so one of the things that... Um, I loved about Brad when uh, we were out at New Beginnings uh, previously, and he was one of the worship leaders. Uh, they had like four different crews that would do that. And uh, one week, Brad just come up on stage, and he said, you know, I really woke up this morning, had a rough week, and did not feel like leading worship. And some of the people kind of were like, like well, you're not supposed to say that, you know? And some of us love that, that Brad was just the worship leader saying, you know, you wake up sometimes, and because of life circumstances, to be honest, you don't feel like worship. But you know what? God's still true. And God is still worthy of praise no matter my circumstances. So he went on to say how in that process, when we look to God and we go to God's word, um, the spirit comes and renews us. And even in our brokenness, we can still worship God. He's still worthy. And so um, I love that about how transparent and authentic and raw. And that, that's what kind of place that we want to be. We, we don't want to put on airs of, we've got it all together, so then therefore we wouldn't have problems. I mean, if there's any book, I mean, Second Corinthians, uh, you know, a lot of us are kind of limping along. I think that, you know, just limping through. A lot of people have talked to me about things that they're going through. And they kind of joked about, man, we're ready to be out of Second Corinthians. You know, is there, a, is there a good book that brings some, you know, uh, good favor? And so kind of jokingly, because we know that the favor actually is, even at your most desperate point, you get God. You get God, the creator of the universe. And so for you younger kids, that may be like, oh, man, um, you know, yeah, I've had some rough things, you know, our, our internet went down for a minute and we had to restart the game, you know, like you're going to go through worse things. Um, or, you know, like I had a, a rough situation, some kids were being mean to me at school, or some kids were being mean to me um, in my family even, or um, man, I got in a little bit of trouble. There's going to be things that's going to hit your life, and I hope you can remember to turn back to 2 Corinthians and God allowed Paul to go through some of these things as an example for us. And so as Brad um, shared that, that's exactly um, what they've been going through. Not, not an easy life at all. They, they've chosen to adopt, because of this idea of adoption of the father, to adopt some kids that society has said no one wants them. And that's, that's just difficult and weighty. I'll have a bad day and have some problems, like a flat or something, and then I meet with Brad, and he tells me what they've been through in the last eight, hour, eight hours. That's like normalcy for them. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. You know, like, uh, so there's all kinds of things that people go through, and this letter confirms to us that God meets us in that. He doesn't want to us to get better and not need him more and become more independent, and if you find the right list, then you can keep yourself from any kind of harm or suffering or difficulty. No, Paul's actually saying through 2 Corinthians, no, actually, in participation with Christ, your life may go through much, much more suffering than everyone around you. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual or better or that God loves you more, but, but just know that if you go through those things, that God is right in the middle of that. And he's not looking down on you and ashamed of you and saying, kind of get it together, get it together. 
He's going, oh, you're going to experience me to a degree. Just, it's just a beautiful thing. And so it's a flipped idea, especially, especially with, with our 4%, the American culture. Like some cultures, you know, Sudan, they, they don't think like us, right? Uh, lots, lots, lots of parts of China, they don't think like us. Um, the Ukraine, they don't think like us. But in America, it's kind of like, you know, pull your bootstraps up, get stronger, get better, be independent, be strong. Those are beautiful graces of freedom, but not necessarily that God's obligated to give us. And he just says in 2 Corinthians that, hey, when you go through suffering and persecution in the name of the Lord, I'm going to meet you there. And that's a beautiful thing. And so um, when, when that hits, I'm just letting you know, it's not if, it, it's when. When that hits, just know that God is already there. Um, so let me let me go through, uh, as we get into these last four verses here, I want to just do a little bit of a recap, um, just covering the three main sections that 2 Corinthians has had. So if you kind of joined us lately, or if you're missing at some of those um, points, so just going through a, a couple of main verses and those main sections that Paul um, walked us through in this letter. Um, so in chapters 1 through 7, um, we saw... That whole sweeping section there is kind of Paul's painful account and defense of his ministry. So if you remember back in those um, early stages, he was defending his ministry to them. And actually for, for New Testament believers, he was actually revealing to them very clearly in chapters 2 and 3 there about how the old covenant had passed away. This is the ministry of the new covenant with the Spirit. And it's all in uh, your union with Christ all in what Christ has accomplished for you. And so um, some beautiful sections there. He'd, he, he had been discredited by these super apostles that had showed up in this city, Corinth. And, and Paul had shared the gospel with them and their, their church planting team had established this church. People had come to faith. They had stayed there for about a year and a half. The church had grown, not only numerically some, but they had grown in depth of understanding the gospel. And then Paul and his crew moved on to some other areas as the Lord led. In the meantime, some, some new leaders come in and the culture there really valued prominence and status and riches. And then they also valued some weird things in the church to where it was spiritual gifts. And so if, if you were able to speak in tongues and do any kind of miraculous things, here, please come set up front. But if you've got other you know, giftings, well, I mean, Yep, just there's an area in the back for you. And so there is this discrediting of the message, but also an, a misunderstanding of what God was supposed to do in a church. And so they had discredited Paul's own identity as an apostle. And so he's defending that. Um, Paul had to address the false teachers that had come in after they had been there that had led many astray. So remember I've said a few times, there's kind of three groups in this church. There are the main ones who had, had, had stayed um, probably consistent and faithful to, to the, the gospel message and to the true Christ and to Paul and the, the guys that Paul had sent in there. But then there was this middle crowd that was on the fence. And they were being persuaded sometimes by, by, by the solid believers, but also sometimes by the false truths that were being taught. And then the third category were the, the ones who were misleading people, just the false teachers that he addressed. So those three crowds, sometimes in the letter, Paul turns and addresses those misleading teachers and is very harsh with them. We don't see it as much in our English versions, but in the Greek and in that, that original context, that letter come across very, very harsh. Um, and then there was also, and harsh in a good way, to try to get them to kind of slap them and wake them up and turn them back around. And then the middle crowd, a lot of this letter, um, I would probably say is meant for those people to be like, you need to make your decision. And at the end here, he's calling them. And we saw in, the, in chapter 13 where he's calling them, you need to get off the fence. 
Are you going to be faithful to Christ? I thought you were changed. Or are you going to be persuaded by these false teachers? And then there's these comforting parts where he talks to the believers saying, you have remained faithful, some of you. And so as he goes through this, um, if you remember uh, one of those key verses, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, so it's up on the screen there. And Paul says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So think through that. He, he, he had just said, Moses, when he went up on the mount, and he come back down, he realized after a while he would come down and tell the people, this is what God has said. And his face was glowing, and the people would listen. But after a few hours or a few days, his face would go from glowing brightly, it would diminish, the, the glow would diminish. And so then uh, um, Moses learned, oh, they're not obeying as much when, when, when the glory is not shining on my face. And we kind of tend to do that, right? And then what he said, what he kind of learned was, I'm going to start putting a veil over my face so they will still respect God and treat God in obedience and trust in the same way as if they, if they didn't know that, that my face was not as bright and glowing. And so he had said, that, that's the same thing that the Old Testament law did compared to Christ in the New Testament and what Christ accomplished. So he was doing that. Now all of us, no longer tied to the Old Testament uh, covenants and the Old Covenant, those were not what was going to save. Now it's all in what Christ has done. So with unveiled faces, um, now we all beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding Christ, gazing, focused, captivated Christ, we're being transformed from one glory and one degree to another. So it's a progressive act, but the whole time we're, we're gazing and beholding the glory of the Lord. So the question for us is, if you're not beholding Christ, you're not being transformed. Even churches, even churches sometimes will teach us, hey, here's five ways to have a, a great Christian family. Five points to raise um, uh, perfect teenagers. Three easy points to have a perfect marriage. So what do you start doing? We start comparing models and philosophies. And those are not evil or satanic sometimes, but they're not beholding Christ. There's a difference. You want transformation? Yeah. Hey, you want to lose weight? Yeah. Do some push-ups. Run a little bit. Do some extra. That's helpful, right? There, there's some things that we can do, but to grow spiritually and to stay focused in the gospel is to beholding Christ. If you want transformation, man, beholding Christ. So each individual person and the church as a whole, if, we, if you start hearing me coming up with ideas of growth that's about more about what you can go do than beholding Christ, we're, we're compromising transformation. So for you as an individual and us as a church, now we've got to put Christ and his cross as central and keep it there and fight for that. Not, not allowing what trends and stuff are going on, what church growth movements, but going, man, Christ and his cross. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that, you know, I, I didn't go by all these things that the, this Corinthian crowd was impressed by. No, when I came to you, I come to you in weakness and fear and trembling and just in a power of the Spirit because I want to know one thing, Christ and him crucified. And so in 2 Corinthians, all the, a couple of years later, he tells them, hey, beholding Christ, that's how we're transformed. So I would ask you, if you get to a point in your Christian life and you feel like you're not growing, feel like there's a ceiling that you've kind of hit, and you feel like, man, I'm just not growing. Man, for younger people, um, as you get into your 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, man, you're, you're having temptations that you didn't have when you're 7, 8, 9, and 10. 
And so now you're going, hey, am I actually growing in Christ? College age, uh, young, 20-somethings, if I'm hitting the sin and I'm not growing, it's because you're not beholding Christ. You're living for self as believers. If you're not beholding Christ, you're not being transformed. I go to church. I serve on this team. I help out with this. We do this little ministry. That may not be transformation. That may just be busyness. Busyness is no substitute for production. Production is no substitute for reproduction. A a disciple of Christ. I'm being reproduced as Christ's disciple. And so um, in that, are you being transformed? If not, maybe you're not beholding and pausing and loving Christ. And so uh, just just ask the Lord that today. It's one of the things, one of the biggest verses there. Um, And notice all of that. Notice what, what he says. And so then you'll fix yourself. No, no. All of that is what? From the Lord. My job, God, I'm convicted. I confess and repent now. Would you come and feel me? Oh, this is from the Lord. It's God who does the work then. And so sure, you want to be faithful and you're part of it, but it's all from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit to grow you and enable you. So it's just a beautiful picture there. Um, and then, then uh, another section there, chapter four, he goes into that, uh, that, that famous section, the treasure, we are treasures. Um, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body. So as we're living our lives, there should be some identification with the death of Jesus. Jesus said, um, if anyone's going to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll go to the ascetics where, you know, like, well, I'm going to deny myself food, deny myself water, I'm going to deny myself clothing, deny myself a house, deny myself a car. It doesn't, the the ascetics, they tried those things. That doesn't necessarily mean you're closer to God, right? Uh, But it is saying those sinful desires, if everything in my life is this life trajectory of what I, what I want to do in life, and it's just, hey, God, your role is to come and bless this, that may not be God's will for your life. Maybe you need to go, hey, God, I want to be faithful what you're wanting to do in my life, and you've gifted me and given me these certain passions and things, and I want to do these things, but at any point, God, if you change that direction, I'm open to that. I want to follow your will in this. And so um, in, in that, he's, he's going, we should be identifying with the body, or with the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus is also manifest in our bodies. And he says this, that beautiful section right past there in, in 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Holy Spirit, God is going, hint, hint, you are going to be tempted to lose heart. I'm assuming you're going to need to understand that you're going to feel like losing heart. Anyone been there before? Did you hear what Brad said earlier? Tempted to lose heart? Hey, we do not lose heart. Why? Based off of what what we just said. So we do not lose heart. All that we had just heard, what what Christ has done in chapter 3, in chapter 4 there. That though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You're going to feel at times like everything in your life is falling apart. From vehicles, to microwaves, to dishwashers, to kids' lives, to kids' decisions, to people you work with, to family members, sometimes your own spouse, sometimes your your co-workers, sometimes your kids and family. Our outer self is being attacked in these different ways. And, and, And your inner self can still be being renewed. Remember, we're gazing and beholding Christ. 
Um, so all that being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So eternally minded for the things that are seen are just transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, we should not lose heart. And then the, one of the most famous sections, I believe, in, in uh, chapter 5, 17 through 20, um, I would probably put uh, verse 25, 21 up there with the famous John three sixteen that has kind of defined Christian um, thinking for maybe a few centuries, or especially in American Christianity, just for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so that, that idea um, is, is true. It, it should be shocking, though. That he loved us this much, and it's in America. Sometimes it's not that shocking to us. We're like, "Yeah, have you seen how good we are? Of course, God loved us. <laughs> look at us. We, we I'm just look, look how good we are at everything. It should be shocking. And so, what I love about um, 5:21 is just that it brings out a, a bigger gospel picture there. Um, so, if anyone's in Christ, if that's true, he says, therefore, based on what you've heard in two and three and four, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, based on all of that, you beholding. You gazing, you you feasting on him, you resting in him, you enjoying him in his glory. If anyone's in Christ, so is that your Christianity? Is that what you view as Christianity? Enjoying, treasuring, feasting on him. If you're in Christ, not, hey, did you have a 10-second time when you bowed ahead and prayed a prayer? And you've been trying to gut it out ever since? Or you, you, you had this emotional you know, two-minute situation or a promise that God was going to take away all your problems. Well, that, that's not necessarily Christianity, but feasting on Christ, enjoying Him, loving Him for who He is, that's it. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, that's giving proof that you're a new creation. The old has passed away. The old sin patterns have passed away. And now the new has come. And all this, again, he goes to um, being redundant, all this is from God. And so beautiful stuff there. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Shockingly, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. So again, if I step back and go, hold it, Am I treasuring that part that Paul just just revamped again and again? That it's all about what Christ has done? Not uh, not holding my sins against me? And then the part of entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. (coughs) Sorry. Are you part of the ministry of reconciliation? As a believer, are you an ambassador for Christ? Are you seeing your life as not just like, I'm trying to keep the rules and be a really good moral person, and we go to church and we do these things. Are you seeing yourself as a representative of Christ? Are are you seeing yourself as as a person who has the content, the message of the gospel, but also the character of that? And so are you a person who sees um, your your work as as just, that? that's not what defines you, your work. Um, where you live, that's not what defines you. You're defined by the new creation. And in that, that, that you are now an ambassador. So therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And in that verse, for our, for our sake, the Father made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. So that's that beautiful picture of double substitution, substitutionary atonement, where his sin was, our sin was substituted onto him. Christ took that on the cross, substitutionary atonement, and then we get to step away from the guilty place. His righteousness and holiness is put on us as new clothing. The righteousness of Christ is substituted to us. So double substitution. Our sin onto Christ, his righteousness onto us. And why? For, for our sake, God did that. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, you might be the righteousness of God. And that's all for his glory. So just another beautiful part of that section. In verses, uh, in chapters eight through nine, Paul goes this Christ-centered appeal for sacrificial giving. If you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, he said, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And so what he was saying that was that I'm gathering from you guys, the Corinthians, the very rich and elite, um, I'm gathering money from you to go and take to the poor believers in Jerusalem. And so he had built up this case saying, hey, if you understand the generosity of God, then you're going to understand that a heart of generosity should flow out of you. And he's, uh, and now we're going to take up an offering to send to the poor. And so based off of God's generosity to us. So very clear though, it's for the good of others. And then it goes to the thanksgiving and praise of God. Is what he says. And then in uh, sections, uh, chapters 10 through 13, Paul then goes into this countercultural experience with kind of some, some staunch um, warnings and exhortations. If you remember that, um, he, he brought them to understand that the sovereign suffering in the midst of a faithful gospel presence. We looked at that for a few weeks. Sovereign suffering, so that I understand that when I go through difficulties in following Christ, it's under God's sovereignty um, completely. There's not a thing that happens to you that, that God didn't allow or that God didn't uh, purposely, um, actively place on your life. And so that's hard when you go through difficulty. That's hard when, when you go through extreme things. So sovereign suffering, but that allowing you to be a faithful gospel presence wherever you're at. Um, and so those, those key verses there, when Paul went through that whole catalog of his, his ministry and some of the things, the sufferings that he went through, um, and in verses 12 through 8 through 10, he says, uh, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, talking about the thorn in the flesh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. And remember that picture of may rest upon me? What he meant there was the old picture of the Old Testament, um, God coming in the tabernacle and, and tabernacling with them and God coming in the temple and then Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us and God with us, Emmanuel. That's what he said. In, in my weakness, God come and tabernacled with me. God is with us in that. And so uh, Paul says, in weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm destroyed. So um, I hope that as you track through 2 Corinthians, you go back through that sometime, that you're able to keep that mindset, some of those things flowing. Are you a person that, that's really just bought into the American dream, or sometimes, sometimes even teachings in churches, that your life will only look like this, 
And if anything bad ever hits your life, then you're either out of the will of God or that, that you know, all you got to do is just work up more faith in yourself and, and fix that. And that God is, gonna, is obligated to give you anything you want. That, that's not what Paul's saying. You, you, you'd have to do away with the book of 2 Corinthians and much of Paul's letters. So I hope that that's um, been a stirring part of your affections for the Lord as we get into today's section, it's just a little bitty section, 11 through 14. Um, I purposely wanted to just cover those last verses uh, with kind of this ongoing part of, of a recap of what we've seen in 2 Corinthians so far, and then to get those last verses. Uh, each week, we kind of held those questions up there. How can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross, which Paul lays out so clearly here as our only hope, if I'm a person that's still obsessed with pride and self-seeking? And if I am a person who's just obsessed with pride and self-seeking and just kind of wearing a Christian t-shirt, then what effect is that going to have on me loving God more and making him known to others? If, I, if, I, if I'm just obsessed with pride and self-seeking, am I realizing I, I'm probably not really living for Christ? I'm not an ambassador for Christ. I'm not beholding Christ, those things we just talked about, um, and, and that, those motifs that we've seen there. Weakness is a source of strength. And we never really choose to tap into that. We, we don't sign on for weakness. Um, and then also suffering is the vehicle God has chosen to display his power and glory. Um, so um, we, we saw all of that in those first chapters. Let's read uh, 13, 11 through 14. Just in closing. So there's a turn here because Paul has went through um, 10, 11, 12, and part of 13. And, and again, out of the three crowds, he's kind of come down hard and he's been pretty harsh on these people, and, and then no, there's, we wouldn't notice it if you just read quickly, but finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your beautiful letter of self-revelation. You give us you in 2 Corinthians. The gift of 2 Corinthians is you. Would you help us as we hit suffering times, difficult times, great times, prosperous times, would you help us to have the same heart that treasures you? And that's not a one-time decision, Father. That is an ongoing need that we have, an ongoing need of the Holy Spirit, that our sanctification would be continually turning, continually repenting, continually confessing our need, continually confessing our sins, continually um, confessing to you and repenting and, confess, and continually seeking the renewal that the Spirit brings. Would you let us rest in that and find worship in you in that. We thank you for this letter of 2 Corinthians that you revealed it to us. We believe that you're a living God. We're not praying because you're supposed to pray after reading your word. We believe that you hear us and we believe that you are working and active in our lives, a living triune God. And so we pray that you would um, continue to challenge us, change us, transform us for your glory and for the good of others. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, um, this idea of um, Finally, brothers, rejoice. It would almost be like, so if, you, if you've parented long enough, um, you, you just kind of went into your kids' rooms and, hey, listen, 
here's what's been going on and, and I'm tired of it and you better straighten up. Here's the things that you need to start doing and you better straighten up. And you've tried to do it before so you've kind of come in kind of harsh and you know, of course the kids are just sitting there going like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so um, he's kind of come down harsh on them and then finally brothers rejoice. And so that would be kind of shocking for, the, for this crowd when they read this. So just know that um, it's been pretty harsh. And then the word uh, brothers there, uh, Adelphois, um, is brothers and sisters. And so it's, it's a loving, intimate term. It's brothers and sisters um, speaking um, clearly that the, you, you believers there, I want you to rejoice. And so uh, the very first thing out of the gate in this closing, Paul turned to this idea of unity and then if you take that, that first part about finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And he goes to the end, and he goes to this Trinitarian view to encapsulate all of this closing aspect. And we'll see that in just a second. But when he says this, um, first, of all, first of all, this part about um, rejoice, he says, um, and there's five different commands there, and so you can see those. Um, rejoice, and then the second one is aim for restoration. The third one's comfort one another. The fourth one's agree with one another. And then the fifth one's live in peace. And in doing those things, the God of love and peace will be with you. So there's kind of five commands there with, with this promise. Um, and so um, that, that first one, that first idea of rejoice. Um, like I said, someone has just come and rebuked you or corrected you. Why would you think that you would rejoice? If you've ever been corrected, what's the first thing that we do when you're corrected? We usually go into defense mode, don't we? Sometimes we can't even hear their content because we're already in defense mode. And even thinking like, well, you're handling this wrong or you, you got a lot of problems yourself and there's a lot of things that you've done wrong also. That's, uh, that's typically the way that our human nature wants to respond. Now, hopefully, as a believer, um, like I've talked about through this letter even, like when someone comes to you to talk to you about something, if they've, they've got enough love for you to step up and say something to you in any kind of loving, um, like, uh, rebuke or counsel, man, consider both the method and the content. How did they approach it? Was it a patient, loving, graceful approach? And then the content, uh, were, were the things they were bringing up, were they biblical concerns? Not preferential things, um, but were they biblical concerns? And so when you think through that, um, the idea of rejoicing we should rejoice when someone comes to correct us and train us because what they're trying to do is to help us to see sin that maybe we're blinded to. There's, there's certain aspects about our, our being, and hopefully it'd be a pattern. It's not the first time that you did something and it's something small and they're just gonna come and they're the rebuking police. We've been around some um, people like that before. Have you ever had rebuke and correction lead to rejoicing in your life? Think through that. Have you ever had rebuke and correction. Hopefully, that would be what you would be looking at. It's, it's the mirror of God's word every day, right? That, that you would be looking to that, that, that coming to church, that you would hear, be hearing the mirror of God's word, and it would lead to rejoicing. So remember those things that I always hold out there. So if my heart's convicted, and then I'm confessing and repenting that, and then there is hope for renewal, um, at that renewal point, that, that's when then it leads to rejoicing. I realize that's a good gift from the Holy Spirit that he brought repentance. He brought con conviction to my heart. That, that should grow me. I should be thankful for that. Um, I've coached a whole lot as the boys have grown up and stuff. And so 
One of the things that still shocks me, I don't know why, and even as they get older, I thought that there would come a point where this wouldn't be the thing. What, no matter what sport it is, so you can take little bitty guys and you could show them, you know, hey, hey, you, you notice what they're trying to do if it's basketball or if it's football. And like, no matter what sport, I always just start kind of with stands, like feet and hips and stuff like that. And so like, if you get that wrong it, it, in any sport, football, baseball, basketball, soccer, whatever, if your feet and hips are wrong, then it, it's going to be off. So what's crazy to me when I, you know, here's 12 boys like, hey, everyone get like this. Let's get, you know, a wide base and let's get that. And you see kids doing this and they're standing around their bodies and you're, and you're going, hey, hey, listen, listen, listen. Hey, look up here. Look, do this with me. And they're all, and they're just doing this. And sometimes it's your own kids. And you're like, hey, listen, you're not doing that. And they're like, yeah, I am. And you're like, no, no, look at you. You know, you're, you're standing like this. And so you're trying to correct them. What I love about film and video is it does not lie. And so you can, you take video and you take it and you show, hey, let's watch this video. And like, because, because I've talked to you about doing this one thing and you're supposed to do this one. If you see this one thing, you're supposed to do this. And they go, I did, I, I did do that. You're like, okay, well, let's, let's watch these 10 times where literally you didn't do that. And so I love film because it's like a mirror that shows us you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And this is what the mirror of God's word is. This is what the body of Christ in small group or in, in, in your own times with one another, um, in, in, in just Christian community, as we come together to, to serve, as we come together um, to, to hear God's word, it should be correcting us to go, hey, here's the mirror of God's word. You're not living that way. And, and you don't have to be trashed by that you know, and feel like, oh, God, I'm horrible. God hates me. No, no, no. That's not the point. It's good news. It's good news. It's the gospel. It's good news. And he wants to help change you. He wants to help transform you to where you're actually um, living like Christ, like little Christ. So think through that. And Paul says to them, rejoice, rejoice. If this has been harsh, if this has been hard for you to hear, Rejoice. It may lead to salvation for some of you. It may lead to repentance and confession and growth. Rejoice, brothers, sisters. So you see that first thing that should have been shocking. And then he says, aim for restoration. Um, the word there is katartizo um, in, in the Greek, and it just means um, to mend. So, so this picture, the same thing in Ephesians 4, where um, same verb is used. So katartizo is this picture of a bone. So here's a bone. It's like this. And then what happens when it gets broken? And so Cotartizo says, um, no, I want it to mend. I want it to be fixed back and complete and whole. So this bone, now is, is this, I've, I haven't had a big bone broken, but I've been around people when they go into that emergency situation and the doctors have to set that bone. Is that, is that the best part? It's not, is it? When they have to pull and pull and do this, and yeah, I don't mean like, like people are, you know, mincing. Some of our medical people, they actually enjoy this. It makes me sick when like, oh man, this person come in and they had this situation. I'm like, you're enjoying this? This is terrifying to me. And I'm talking like two stitches. And so the, 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 this bone that's like, you know, broken and they take it and they make it whole again. And so he goes, aim at restoring it like that. Now, what's difficult about that is you've got two different pieces. Most of us, when we, let's, let's apply this to our relationships. Um, have you ever been in a situation where something's broken in a relationship and sometimes you're, you're trying to mend it and notice what Paul says there. He doesn't just say restore. He goes, aim at restoration. And the reason he does that is because um, when two parties come together, it may be the case that you are aiming for restoration, but the other party, they are not really willing to aim at restoration. And, and you are. I'm trying and I'm trying. 
And what happens when you, you've tried to restore, whether that's brothers and sisters in a body of Christ, whether that's um, uh, like family members sometimes, whether that's coworkers, people that are believers or supposedly believers or even believers and non-believers. One of the things to, to, to remember in that is it's not always going to be possible. I I've always thought, I still, you know, still think that you know, if we just, we just take the time and pray and pursue these things with grace and give patience and time, it, it's going to work out. And it's, gonna, and it's like, I'm over 20 sometimes. And I'm just like, and these people will tell me like, yeah, I'm about to write this letter to my dad. I'm about to, you know, and so we've been in three different situations in churches where the person, the lead person that everyone respects and looks up to and stuff, that, that, that there gets to a point sometimes when even people that you look up to People that you think are, they're supposed to be like leading us spiritually sometimes, um, they, they don't want to restore. And what happens sometimes, whether that's just regular folks or that's in the church, sadly, it's this aspect of people not being willing to admit there's a chance that I'm wrong. I can't tell you how many guys who, now I'm telling you, I've been around some guys who they are super, super disciplined on their spiritual disciplines and they will let you know what they're reading and all these things every morning. And they treat people pitiful sometimes. And I'm like, Hey, man, you, you can't do that. I, I'm glad that you're in Ephesians and can tell me what the Greek was saying that, but like, you're kind of a jerk to people sometimes. Or you have all these little, little categories that are not even biblical. It's beyond biblical, but do you realize how, what that does to people? And no, I'm, you're wrong. I'm right. And so we've got to be careful. When we aim for restoration, we've got to be a person who's able to look at, is there the potential that I could be wrong in this? and be able to get along with that. And so just think through the aim for restoration. I, I, I want us to be a place where we are so grace-oriented to where people are you know, doing all kinds of things but that, that, that may be hurtful, but that we're able to talk to them about that, and we're aiming for restoration. Um, so Paul says aim for restoration. There's a difference in that, just aiming or just, just restore. Um, Lots, lots of things that, that, that can happen in that. And he had seen that. He had seen that with the Corinthian, the Corinthian believers there. Um, when you are in that process and you're trying to work on restoration with someone and it just keeps failing, so what do you do then? Um, give some time. Um, I do think it's good to be initiating with some things. It, but sometimes people are like the, the type of people that um, um, I have to have this solved and I have to have this fixed. They may not be that type of person. They may be the type of person who needs some time. So Jamie and I talk about that. Like I, I'm not one of the ones that like this in marriage counseling. Some couples are like, oh, one of the couple, one of the people in the couple have to have everything dealt with right this moment, and the other person is kind of a slow processor. So have you ever seen that in marriage? Um, and so, but with, with us, um, some people are looking at each other like, you dork. And so um, it's like, we need some time, especially if hard reconciliations uh, being attempted, give some time and give some prayer. Trust the Holy Spirit. Um, pray a lot about that and just still understand that sometimes it, it may not work out. Um, Paul says, aim for um, restoration. If you're able to do that, the next one he says is comfort one another. He, he points the Corinthians to this. And what's crazy about this, the whole letter, who was the one who had been going through suffering? And who who's the one who had been abused and attacked and had went through all the stuff? It was Paul. And notice what Paul does. He doesn't go, now, I've been hurt really bad. I've gone through a lot of things. Would you guys comfort me? He, he doesn't even make himself out to be anywhere in the picture. He, he doesn't let the whole congregation know that he was actually the victim. He, he protects the assembly by pointing them to, hey, comfort one another. 
And that's, that's what Christ did. What was Christ doing on the cross? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Look at that, a beautiful picture there. And so we have a tendency to just, you know, we want it to be all about us. And Paul is saying, hey, as a church, comfort one another. It's the exact opposite of fighting and having all kinds of problems with one, with, with one another. And so um, if there was anyone who probably needed comfort, it was probably Paul. Yeah, he points, hey, look at that other person and bring comfort to them. Actively bring comfort to them. Man, that's a beautiful picture. Um, when we have sick people or we have people that get sick, I hope that we're still doing things where we're, hey, hey, do they need a meal? Let's set up a meal train. Hey, they had a a loved one pass away. Can we help maybe watch the three kids for them to where they can go and the the adults can go and be with some family for two or three hours? Um, What are some ways that we could serve and help one another? And especially if we're going through a difficult time, let's aim at comforting one another. Um, Beautiful stuff. Agree with one another. Um, Again, this idea, this is an attitude of grace-orientedness. It's an attitude of enjoying peace. Now, you may have come from a family of origin where you kind of grew up having to kind of fight to survive and just maybe just arguing and fighting. And so what, what develops out of that of years and years of a little kid growing up in that situation is sometimes people can come out of it being kind of a, a contrarian or just very argumentable. And so, hey, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the old has passed away. Your new identity is not you having to be argumentable and nitpicky about every little thing and being just a contrarian about everything. And sometimes in the church, I find that. I was talking with a guy a couple of days ago, and it was about church doctrinal stuff. And I literally was thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that our people aren't concerned about, you know, the writer of this book and the writer, not, not biblical books, but these books. And, and it was nothing at all, but he, he's like, their, their whole church is up in arms about that. And like, man, that's not even, like, you could take that whole argument and the months that y'all have been talking about that, and it doesn't really even matter. It's not about justification or is Jesus the Son of God or any of our peer, uh, tier one, like, beliefs and stuff. It's like level four stuff, and it's, it's affected the church for like six months. And so, man, um, agree with one another. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you would agree with someone if they're participating in pattern sin. Uh, if we're in small group and some guy says, yeah, you know, she's just... She's just been acting weird for several years. So uh, this lady I work with, uh, she's really hot and she's really fun to spend time with. Like you wouldn't just go like, oh, let's just give lots of time and patience and just you know pray for six months or not. No, no, no. This isn't like putting up with pattern sin and going, well, let's just agree with them. Or some guy says, you know, starts a spouting that um, you know Jesus maybe wasn't really the Son of God. He wasn't fully human. And like, no, no, no. We're not just agreeing with you. There's a way of doing that uh, to to confront people and when they're talking about wrong doctrinal issues and. Pharisees, but it's not agreeing with just anything, but it's this idea of this grace-oriented unity. Hey, we, we started out, and man, we were, we were homeschooling our kids when they were little, and then we started sending something about this one, about this one, and so we, we kind of realized, man, hey, we needed to do this, and, and if you're sitting over there going like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that you homeschooled. Why would you do that? Or I can't believe that you are going to send your kids to uh, that, or I can't believe that you're going to send them to a private school. Oh my, that, that's, that's, that's the worst of all three. Like, whatever that is, are, are we aiming for unity? Where, where kids' education, that, that's a freedom and a beauty. Are you kidding me? Have you been to other places in the world? There, there's lots of places where women can't even, little girls can't get an education. Are you, we have options, thousands of options, you know? So let's, let's enjoy and celebrate that for one another. 
not be judgmental, whether that's, hey, our kid gets a device at six years old, our kid gets a device at 10 years old, our kid gets a device at 16. Let, let's, let's enjoy what, what we've got for, for one another and love one another and be supportive of one another instead of tearing each other down. And sometimes in churches, it's this conformity to one thing when it's not sinful at all to say, no, we're going to do this. No, we're going to, you don't know our situation. You don't know our kid's situation. You don't know what's going on. Jamie and I take it like semester by semester. We're like to the point, like when they get a little bit older, you're taking like four weeks at a time. Like, you know, like, is, what do we need to adjust here? And so those are things that are, that are because of love. And so we want to be a place where people have those different options, that people have those different freedoms. Um, it's agreeing with one another on things politically. Um, so, so if anyone listens to this online, um, would we would we be a place where we'd be full of Republicans and full of Democrats and full of Libertarians? You may go, oh, don't, you can't even go there. Like if we're, if we're not a church where everyone watches Fox News from seven to ten at night, then I don't even. That's not even Christian. Just no, no. I I would love for us to be filled with, with Republicans, Democrats, and um, Libertarians or whatever Independents. So I haven't been on a party in over twelve years. I took flack from that back when we lived in another place. And so I don't support either one of those parties like that. And so we don't want to be a church where um, we're, we're, in, we're in the same category of just one political party. And you, and you may, you, I would just challenge you to think through. If you view it as, uh, Sankey, there's no way that a Republican could actually be a true believer. Or if you view it as, Sankey, are you kidding me? Democrats, there is no way. I, I would challenge you on that. And so I know people listening online that may make the decision on whether they would ever come here or not, but I just want to challenge you. Christ, am I captivated? Am I beholding Christ and being transformed? Because all those parties, they're not going to line up with Christ on everything. So how do we agree to be a grace-oriented place and we don't make those things the major issue? If you have bigger perspective from other people from other places, our political things can be really jacked up. Um, so just, just think that agreeing with one another, a graceful, grace-oriented place. And Paul says, live in peace. If you have that gentle, loving, grace-oriented place, it's possible that this, this posture allows for living in peace as much as possible in a fallen world. And, and, and Paul's picture to them is now he's, he's bringing all this to a close, live in peace. And the understanding of that word peace there for them, and especially in, in that language, was this idea of reconciliation with God and man. He's going, hey, remember, you were reconciled with God and man. You were brought to peace with God. Wouldn't you, if, you, if God in all his holiness can bring peace to you, pursue peace and bring peace to you as people that were rebels, couldn't you have peace with one another? That's what we want to be like. So picture those five things that we just talked about and an environment where it's like that. And yeah, oh, that guy, I can't, believe he, he, I can't believe he's a raging Republican or a raging Independent or a raging a Democrat. And man, I can't believe that they um, are deciding to send their kids to public school or I can't believe they're doing homeschool or I can't believe they're doing private school. I can't believe they drive those type vehicles. I can't believe that they live on that side of town. I can't believe the way that she wears makeup, that she doesn't wear makeup. I can't believe they go to the, to the beach sometimes. I can't believe they go to the mountains sometimes. I can't believe they let their kids listen to this kind of music. I can't believe, do you see what we do? It's just the opposite of those five things of going, hey, beholding Christ, we're all sinners, right? And it's not justifying it, making it where it doesn't matter. But no, if the guy's 
talking about leaving his wife and cheating on his wife or she's cheating on him or stealing on their taxes or treating their kids horrible. Let's talk about those things. The other things, there's a lot of freedom in that we can come together and have peace and love and unity in Christ, beholding him, being transformed as a very diverse crowd instead of just being conformed to one little bitty looking thing and then as diversity, and that's the beauty of God. And seeing that and going, that's what we want to do. We want to make disciples in that way. And so that flows out of that relationship with God. And he, he, bring, he brings it all to a close there. Greet one another with this holy kiss. You, you've been giving us a hard time, coming down very harshly on us. And then you say, hey, brothers, sisters, loving brothers and sisters, rejoice. And now you go to a holy kiss? So anyone grow up in the house where it was like you fight with your brothers and sisters? What did mom and dad do? You guys hold hands. You guys got to hold hands and you, you got to hug. That, that's what, this is crazy. There's three divided crowds here and they're fighting over all kinds of things, all kinds of sin. It's a broken, uh, dismantled church. And Paul, hey, l- let me take it a step further. All peace and unity and all those things. Hey, greet each other with a holy loving kiss. And the word holy kiss, it, just, it means it's not erotic. It's not sexual in any nature. It's this, it's this loving intimacy is all that. Greet each other with a holy kiss. So, when you, so, so it's nothing, any kind of bad thing. It's like, Man, you would go even a step above and beyond to even, oh gosh, they drive me crazy. Hey, hello, and embrace one another with this, this loving kiss and hug. And so that had never been done. Historians say that that was not uh, in, in any culture. And so um, some attribute that to, to Christianity itself. So when you see in certain parts of the uh, world where they still do the little side kiss, have you ever had anyone that's French? So we had friends in Talcott that were French, and so they would do the thing every time you see them. They would you know, kind of want to kiss you on both sides of the cheek. And so most of us have done the awkward thing where you step up to someone and like you're stepping up maybe to hug or you're going to step in to hug someone and they just stick a hand out and they kind of do the body and you're like this awkward dance now because you know or you were you were going to do the hug and they were just going to hold hands and so um jamie's like that so she she'll say like when she some of the teachers here at metro they're like big huggers and she's like oh gosh oh gosh i see everybody she got a hugger on my hands and so i was like that's so good for you i hope she hugged you for like a minute and just squeezes you and so um so we're different. So Paul's going, hey, this loving embrace, it doesn't have to be awkward. It's okay. Now, we, we don't have to, you know, like forcefully, it's not a rule to, to go keep. But Paul was doing that to emphasize it should be this loving. All the saints greet you. And then Paul brings it all to this beautiful close. Let me remind you where all this idea comes from. The grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit. So if you're not a believer, rip 2 Corinthians out, you can't live by it. If you're not a believer, you don't have fellowship of the Spirit and the Spirit changing you. You have not experienced reconciliation with the Father and love of the Father. And that way you've experienced His general graces. You haven't experienced the love of God found in the peace brought to brought to you through Christ. And so the grace of Jesus Christ. Notice what he does here. He it usually starts out in most places, um, the, the love of Father. So notice the Trinitarian view, so Father, Son, Spirit. Notice what Paul does. He purposely he does this in about four or five different books in the New Testament where he, where he, he words it first with the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Why, why would he do that before he talks about the love of the Father? You can't experience the love of the Father if it wasn't for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ coming, being poured out on you. So a beautiful closing. 
You can't live in this type of unity. You can't live in this type of grace-oriented environment. You can't have this type of uh, a love for one another. You can't embrace one another. You can't have all these things if it isn't for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being poured out on you that leads to the love of the Father and the fellowship. Hey, it's not on your own doing either. It's the fellowship of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit is not only new believers. He's with you as a body. The fellowship of the Spirit. I'm sending the Spirit, the Comforter. He can provide that. It's not a matter of you getting a better list, being a good Christian a church with good morals and good lists, and we do things in, these things in this church better. No, you need the Spirit. We're weak. We're broken. We're suffering. We're going to go through difficult times. But can't we be this loving place, this grace-oriented place, this place where those things, the generosity of God where we're, uh, is poured out to where we're giving of other things, not just our, our finances, just writing a check. That's simple for some people. Your time, your life. Are you willing to get life on life with other people? That, that's costly. It's difficult. All of that brought about by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, the whole plan of God, and then the fellowship of the Spirit. Him not only changing us, but empowering us to do that. So that's how Paul closes. And I hope that's encouraging to you. What will we take away um, from um, the book of 2 Corinthians? I hope that after this, I think it's 28 or 29 weeks that we've seen through this, um, um, that those key verses there, 318 I would say is a key verse. I would walk away, are you beholding? Two months from now, having a rough time, going through some things. Man, whether it's circumstances, whatever, whether it's my life and I've kind of got off track with God, whether it's I feel like I'm just in a stale, cold place, gone through some difficult thing, am I taking the time to pause and behold? Am I beholding Christ and being transformed internally? The outward wasting away, the inward being renewed day by day. If you're not doing that, your, your, your tasks and your, your checklist for the day, it's not going to produce life. It's not made to. It doesn't have the capacity. He is who we find life in. So are you beholding? From chapter 4 there, that, that key section there, if you start going through suffering, if and when you start going through suffering and difficulty, um, difficult things, they are going to come. It's, it's, it's this idea, don't lose heart. Loved one dies, bad diagnosis, circumstances, the economy, situations, all these things. Do not lose heart. Um, younger people, we just had to talk with, with our boys just about that idea of there's going to be difficult things that you go through. So we, what we don't want to do is hide you and, and uh, create a snowflake and, 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 and no, oh, we're so sorry. Or let's take revenge and go do these things. No, you know what? It, it's going to hurt. And you're going to be flat on the ground sometimes, and it's going to hurt, and Jesus is there with you. Don't rescue them. Don't rescue kids out of everything. That's not your role just to rescue them. You're not a redeemer. You're not a savior. They've got one. Use your life to point them to him. So when you go through suffering and, and difficulty, who are you teaching them to look to? Who are you looking to in your own life? And then 517, just that beautiful verse, key section. Are you seeing the old sin pattern put away? Are you living as ambassadors for Christ? Are you seeing the gospel in verse 21 there? He who became sin. Uh, he who made him sin in our place. Is that, uh, that picture there, is that what you're living for? That that's enough for you? That double substitution. 
So as we pray and Brad comes up, I'll give you a couple moments just to respond as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, I want to give you a couple minutes as Brad just plays to consider where your heart's at um, with what we've seen in uh, 2 Corinthians today as we've gone through this, um, to be able to think through what am I going to walk away with? What, what has God revealed in his word to me about himself, about me, about my life? Um, and I want to give you a couple minutes just to respond um, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. It's to this very group that Paul writes those famous words that most people read from in 1 Corinthians 11, um, where um, he's addressing that aspect of the Lord's Supper. And so he tells people, um, hey, if you're partaking of it in a manner that's unworthy, you need to examine your heart. Because we, could, we, we should be coming just celebrating this. We want to be celebrating and enjoying this reality. Every week, this gospel picture that God gave us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So baptism, that you, you, were, you were alive, walking in sin, 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 and then you were dead in Christ. But then he raised you up to new life. That's the picture I want you to do repeatedly. I want you to see that, identify with that. In the Lord's Supper, that you take his body and his blood and that you're doing this in remembrance. I want you to have those two fixtures there in the church. And so if you do that in a way that's celebrative, even weeks when you failed and failed and failed and failed, you need to redo that and, and take part of that going, thank you, Jesus. I've blown it this week. It's been a horrible week. I've sinned. I've turned against you. Thank you for this. This is so beautiful. So much grace. Thank you for this, that I get to partake of this. And then other times you may go, you know what, this week I need to sit out and not do penance and try to earn my way back to God, but man, I need to just take some time. And so that may be you. If you're not a believer, if you're not a person who's truly rested in Christ and his salvation, then what we say is do not partake of the elements, partake of Christ first. You have to become a believer. So if you're a believer who's not in church discipline from some other place, we have open communion where you can partake of that if you're a believer, been baptized. Uh, if you're not a believer, we say we want to guard that table because we consider it very, very beautiful and holy and not to take it under lightly. So let me pray and give you a couple minutes to respond.